and welcome to Ungodly, the Magical Grimoirean. How are you doing this week, Besh? I'm doing fantastic. I'm finally able to speak. I'm soon to be getting these bits of metal out of my face. And uh, I've been spending a lot of time with you, so how could I not be great? It's been lovely. I'm very happy. Um, I'm Avery. <laughs> and today we have a great new story for you. Um, a lot of it comes from Besh's imagination, um, starting from when he was in his childhood, basically. And um, you, Besh, created a language and philosophy called Kanmari. Kansara. Uh, I'm sorry, no. Kansara. I did know this. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. All good. It's probably worth clarifying that now. Yeah, Kanmari refers to a person or the people who speak it or follow the discipline or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then Kansara is what it is. Yeah. Hey, cool. uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. So I was really into Greek mythology, um, and I was reading a bunch of Nietzsche and Greek mythology, and it's like you know. These people have their their whole culture, their whole pantheon, and that's really cool. But it would be, I don't know, somewhat absurdist for me to be walking around saying um, "Hail Hera" and stuff like that. And and no no slam against the people who do choose to go that route. Mm -hmm. For me, it just would feel odd. like you're an imposter. Or? Yeah, yeah, I would feel um, I don't know, disconnected, insincere. Mm. So I sought and decided to meditate on it for a while. I was like, well, if I did have my own uh, pantheon, what would it consist of? And, you know, if I were to spring forth from a culture, what culture would I spring forth from? So, so did you start with the language and creating the alphabet? Or did it start um, more so from the idea of the culture? Of Kansara. Yeah, it sprang more from uh, the the culture of the the Kansara, or the culture of the Kamari, and um, trying to explain the language through their philosophy based on their mythology. Mm, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about those guys? Uh, well, there's more to come. It's um, linguistically peculiar so just bear with us on that well it's uh, a really beautiful language um, as well, a person you. myself who writes fantasy um, I, ca I can't even imagine making a language actually <laughs> it's just I don't even go there so to make something so in depth and so beautiful it's really cool well thank you yeah the, the conline community is uh, a strange bunch of very devoted people the sorry what did you call it conlang constructed languages oh yeah yeah yes yes yeah we're, we're a bunch of oddballs <laughs> <laughs> well i cannot wait to hear you read the story well thank you very much my love all right shall we begin let's get into it damn straight many speak of agrippa's disavowal of magic on his deathbed but few know the whole of what he said it happens to have been as follows. What I have studied and practiced is not from most, perhaps a grave danger to some. 
There will be a ghost of a city far from now who will know of new gods and chaos in ways that may make my labors pale and irrelevant. Be wary of what they teach, but listen. In the old days of the church, there was a practice of adversarial salvation, something akin to what the KGB and CIA also implemented, wherein a reprobate of some sort or another would effectively be hired, or rather assigned with some consideration of provisions, for espionage. At one point, a very capable cunning person was facing charges of heresy, witchcraft, divination, a whole array of lethal issues. This person's name was Behenat Avenkalder, and he was offered to have his charges reduced to thievery and negligence of debt. In these days, this implied an indentured servitude, from the Roman concept of adicari, meaning an award or devotion, or assigned to the care of. This is also where we get the word addiction. This sweeping under the rug of the more serious charges was paid for by engaging in espionage for the church until death. What soon follows is the peculiar written account from Behenat of his observations of the first of the Khan Marie, a strange hooded wanderer who had appeared not just in this town, but in the past and future lore of the various tribes of what would later become Germany. Other examples are found in Finnish lore, Russian lore, Austronesian lore, West and Sub-Saharan African lore, as well as many of the tribes spanning from the Rockies to the Andes. This may sound either like a loose string of coincidences or a massive accomplishment, but so the goings-on of intemporal beings must appear to us who still perceive and experience time. The cloak in which they enshrouded themselves seemed to be woven of black ewes wool braided in silk and then stained with blood, origin unknown, and finally coated in lignum and beeswax. This resulted in a semi-matte sheen which captured light magnificently on the areas where some golden thread had been used to inlay a peculiar array of occult symbols. Legend has it that this Conmarie performed a ritual to be able to see justice from a cosmic perspective, to know the full working out of karma on the grandest scale, and live an earthly life in accordance with that broadest view. This was more than our limited beings are meant to behold, and thus the wanderer's eyes became blacker than coal seen by a blind man on a starless moonless night. It's said that as a result, they can no longer see fine distinctions of colors, morals, identities, and have an unpalatable ignorance of the preferences of those around them. Alas, enough divergent divulging. Here is Behenat's account. By Adonai, I vow this verily, beneficent lord. As you've requested, with grace and stealth, I have observed the hooded wanderer for some time. But what I witnessed tonight was surely of great interest and must be a result of unholy communions, he wrote to the bishop, trying very hard to prove his distaste toward such unnatural behaviors. Before memory escapes me, I present the words as they came to my ears in the first. Then following, I shall provide how the Holy Spirit is untangling this tongue within me. Afla namia ya eftatik ofan diada ya luha amamam dag paral dig akana. 
Best fame here here bukach shamenit sur binta bresh of fan amorai anara edosiska entkan entkenoka abef ban balisha bukak kalesat yabu 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 I beg of you, Lord, please do not utter these words or allow any other to do so, lest this wanderer's conjuration be recast or worse, that it serve as a beacon and klaxon, alerting the wanderer to us. Here, as was given unto me by the Holy Spirit, is what the demon tongue says. Wisdom, make yourself found. I am a disciple of inspiration. I haul each and every detrimental negative. Improve me, your apothecary, home seven times of the gifts of the five sages. Full, beautiful, connected mushroom, here are symbols, your sacrifice. Thank you from me to you. What followed could only be the work of those who work against God in the forbidden arts, tampering with the holy creation and submitting to the vegetable as though the merciful hadn't granted us dominion over nature. I hear footsteps. I can feel those blackened eyes gazing through me. Interrupting the completion of the spy's letter, an aged and somewhat calloused hand gripped the wrist of the hooded wanderer, cautioning in a thickly accented and almost condescending tone. One such as yourself ought to know better than to waste energy, inflicting harm on one this insignificant. He may have observed you, he may have betrayed his own path as a fellow spiritual cunning person, true. But you know as well as I do that living in a way which is not self-honest is a greater harm than you would ever inflict. It was Blavatsky who had suddenly and mysteriously arrived at the eleventh hour to dissuade the Kamari from exacting revenge against the watching Behenat. The hooded wanderer barely even reacted to her spontaneous manifestation, and just as little attention seemed to be paid to the surprise of her words or her grip, though the Kamari did breathe deeply, then stared deep into Behenat's eyes. Immediately Behenat knew, without another sound from anyone, that this reluctant mercy would only last so long, and it was time to hightail back to safety. He collected himself and his writing implements, and swiftly made his way, though he heard the Comrie call out a grave warning as he ran away. Speak not of me, speak not of my works, or you will find I will bring you a thousand tortured deaths in war. Teeth chattering from both fear and cold, Behenat accidentally bit his tongue running through the dark woods. Upon stumbling over a large root, he had to pause briefly to catch his breath and regather his possessions. Unfortunately, the terror he felt from the wanderer obscured the more immediate, natural threats from focus. Behenat could only notice an odd smell in the air, but did not hear or see the small pack of wolves who, moments later, tore the spy to pieces. As the chilly nocturnal air draped itself in the warmth of his death screams, the Khan Marie turned and said to Blavatsky, 
Seems you didn't need to come at all. That one's fate was sealed with or without me. Long trip. No drink or smoke. Don't test me with your wise cracking shit. Where can I get vodka? And a bed for tonight. In a faint and unidentifiable accent, which gave every word an almost unnecessary punchiness, the conmonary answered, I've known of a decent inn with the tavern, but recently the owner has put a ban on those of such arts as ours. I will show you, but don't show yourself. I would join you if I could. Don't assume I would have you at my table. There are far too many seated there as is. HPB acerbically dismissed the notion while waving one wrinkled hand to indicate that she was ready to proceed to the inn. It was a somewhat lengthy walk through nighted woods thick with ominous humidity that is unique to certain forests of Europe. Most of the fauna they encountered along the way had an inclination to silently back away from this strange and powerful pair. The mouth of one of the wolves who had encountered Behenat was still dripping with blood. The wolf jogged up to lick the hand of the Marie, who in turn gave her sincere and loving ear scratches and muzzle rubs. Briefly, as Blavatsky had no problem making her impatience known and palpable with but a glance. Neither HPB nor the Kamari were aware that Behenat's account had been scooped up by one of the wolves, who was indeed a shapeshifter, also in a contract of servitude to the same bishop and charged with the task of watching the watchers. It pained her to see the cunning man torn to bits, but the rest of the pack were true wolves, and thus not so easy to persuade toward mercy. At last they could see the fires within the inn glowing invitingly in the night. However, as they approached, much to both their surprise, and neither were easy to surprise, a well-dressed aristocrat seemed to fly right out the front door headlong into a large old oak tree. They approached with the same steady pace as though nothing had happened, but when they were close enough to make out further details, Blavatsky was surprised yet again and inquired, Is that you, Cagliostro? The wanderer said, Well, you've found food, drink, bed, and seemingly a friend. I'm not to be seen here. Some untoward reactions on my part regarding the owner's prohibition of magic rendered me an unwelcome guest, so I shall depart. I trust we'll meet again, wherever and whenever. Be warned, many will attempt to disparage and harm you before and after your death. Some with whom you have invested with your trust are undeserving of it. Farewell. With these last words, the Kamari seemed to dissipate like an exhalation in winter's cold, and HPB approached her acquaintance. Well, that was super cool. Um, I think my biggest question is that uh, the Wanderer, the Kamari, mm. he seems to be a traveler of both the past and the future, himself as an individual, or themselves as an individual? See, unfortunately, the 
when, when he did the ritual to get pulled out to see from the cosmic perspective so that he could have a, a, a broader scope of what justice really when is. When his eyes turned black? Yes, exactly. When his eyes turned black and he lost the, the ability for those minor distinctions. The only way that you can see from that wide of a perspective is to go beyond, you know, beyond the realm of time, beyond that dimensionality. Uh, and to to be able to look at time the same way that you or I might look at a leaf. Yeah, so that's really cool because I was just thinking like, how would he know what happened to Blavatsky? And, or sorry, I'll say they, we don't know what their gender is actually. Um, and just the fact that you're saying to get a bigger picture that their eyes turn black, it kind of reminds, and you're saying that they kind of have a scope of of everything in time in a sense then mm -hmm. um it reminds me of black holes yeah. and how okay. some think that um the walls of the black holes are kind of like akashic records because mm. when something enters a black hole it actually kind of um registers what the item is the shape the size um what it, you know what, what its texture is apparently this is theory, but right, right. Um, they really, I think I've heard that that is a, a theory that people really do believe. And uh, so if you're thinking about that, it's taking, it just knows all sort of a thing. Um, something about yeah. the black hole and the black eyes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's mighty interesting. Yeah, it's sort of like the, the memory of a black hole, how much would that contain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, or like, Seeing from uh, from like Shiva's point of view, mm. you know the the creator destroyer. Mm -hmm. And so, the Conmari can't see colors anymore because they're kind of irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. Well, it, I'm not sure if that's just part of the legend or if that's actually factual. Mm. But yeah, the idea is that when you come across one, especially if uh, like this one. Their eyes are completely blackened. Mm -hmm. um, then, yeah, they they've lost that ability to find distinction. That just like they don't see time in the same way that we do, uh, they don't see light in the same way we do. They vi they can visibly see the whole spectrum, so it just doesn't make sense to to say something's blue or something's not when you can see in gamma ray and X ray and all that, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so I also just had a weird question about their clothing. Yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so did you say it was stars and suns that was on it, or? Uh, a, a peculiar array of occult symbols. Oh, yeah. that's weird. I saw stars and suns in my head for some reason. Interesting. Yeah, they would definitely be uh, astrologically significant. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're largely there for protection and devotion. Yeah, I like that. Um, and there was a, a a little part that I would like you to um, extrapolate on. Okay. And uh, that is where you were talking about the word addiction. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, the the word addiction it didn't always mean what it does now, um, and it used to be. A much more positive term uh, it meant more so like uh, a passion something that 
that you devote a lot of time to. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it kind of got a bit of a crossover um, to its original term, the, the Roman term, adhikare, meaning um, an award or a devotion. Uh, but it was also used as a title for somebody who, if they defaulted on their debt, then they were automatically a slave of their debtor. Okay, so it kind of goes with the theme of indentured servitude. So That's right. It, it kind of turned into that. And then nowadays, um, the word still kind of pertains to being s- stuck to to the man, basically. In the Yeah, exactly. I mean, as, as wage slaves, we're all indentured servitude. It, like, we are in indentured servitude to our various addictions, whether those addictions are feeling good about always having a full fridge of the most organic vegetables our children will never eat, or whether it's, uh, you know, what we normally think of when we talk about addictions, uh, maybe shoe shopping or uh, gambling, or, you know, uh, some people have slightly more nefarious addictions, but of course, (laughs) nobody needs to be told that. So the bit about the mushroom, we yes. have a return of the mushroom. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> with different characters, whole different context. In this case, what is, what, sorry, what is the tool of the mushroom doing in the story to help Behenot truly see the, right. the wanderer and understand his language. Okay, okay. So uh, the magic of the Kamari is very peculiar and some of their their gods are very uh, direct about what they give them. And this one happened to be given something from the god known as Entkon, which uh, if you had to put it into English would be connection or connectivity. Um, and to the Kamari, that's represented through the entire fungal kingdom. Anything fungal is an example of Entcon somehow <laughs> existing and, and working its magic. Mm-hmm. So this one, per- to, one particular mushroom, when the Kamari consumes it, after saying that, uh, that Warthan, that prayer, um, instead of it causing him to have any particular experience, it creates a strange effect to those around them it essentially lifts the veil of limited perception temporarily but surrounding them for i'm not entirely sure i think it's say 50 ish feet diameter i don't know yeah but and lifting the veil is a, a common term just even in our world and that just means yeah. when the veil is thin and that's at times like say around halloween or christmas um historically <laughs> Uh, like during a pagan uh, kind of celebrations during the year and in other cultures as well that is day of the dead etc that is when we can kind of experience things that aren't in our dimension and we can see them like ghosts or yeah exactly yeah ghosts spirits uh, you know or start recognizing things as being alive when we thought they weren't yeah yeah (laughs) so I just wanted to clarify that yeah, yeah. So essentially, Behanat um, is experiencing a very uncomfortable trip mm-hmm. through 
the Conmarie having uh, taken that veil down by consuming the mushroom himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just suddenly ripped eyes wide open to the spirit realm. Yeah. (laughs) 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 While trying to write a letter to the bishop. Yeah, uh, yeah. Saying that, like, this is so unholy and terrible while he's probably enjoying the trip along with the wanderer. It, to a certain extent, yeah, I bet you it brought back some good memories, you know, <laughs> from when they were still practicing as freely as they wanted. Yeah, and magic and their own spirituality. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, well done, babe. Well, thank you very much. And thank you so much for your voice assistance, oh, as no my Blavatsky is terrible, as we've discovered. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> um... Okay, so uh, with speaking about Blavatsky just now, I wanted to just mention that she time traveled into your story. Um, yeah. So, which totally uh, is a theme. <laughs> Blavatsky <laughs> learned to try time travel, and yeah. she um, has made it into this kind of a I almost want to say boys circle of Agrippa. Cagliostro, Saint-Germain, who all appear to be able to time travel. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's nice that there's at least some female representation there. <laughs> I'm hoping that we'll wind up encountering more down well, the line. We have a cool wolf, and yeah. oh, um, oh. hint, hint, oh. something oh. might happen next week with a shapeshifter wolf lady. Bombs are dropping. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, just to talk about time travel, to talk about time travel a little bit, we won't go too crazy into depth with quantum physics, quantum me- mechanics, etc. Um, because basically, because I am not equipped <laughs> to talk about it very much. <laughs> well, a lot of it's still very speculative and theoretical. Yes, anyway, so. exactly, exactly, and I think. Um, what I do know is there's a lot of uh, different paradoxes that everyone um, is worried about um, when explaining and talking about time travel. Mm-hmm. So there's the grandfather paradox. Yeah. Um, so that's if you were to build a time machine and then go back and for some reason when you saw your grandfather to kill him, so then you essentially would never be born. But then how would the time machine have been made in the first place so then ta-da impossible because there's that loop or whatever exactly Un- unless then... you're from futurama <laughs> okay that's an interesting episode <laughs> <laughs> but then uh basically the the theory then is just don't do anything to fuck it up like mm-hmm. then it it could work you know otherwise you have a 50 50 percent chance of killing the grandfather whether like that is your intention or not like uh, that is how they're theorizing it. And they did um, a test with a particle through time, space, and everything, according to my reading yeah. and what I understood of it. Um, so, yes, so just do not fuck it up, basically. And it could happen. <laughs> and I'm sure Blavatsky is well equipped to uh, be studious and set in her ways and wonderfully Russian. Yeah. So yeah, she's I think probably she pro- master at it. Yeah, she's probably, she's going to be going around time traveling. I've got a feeling that she'd probably go around setting others straight for screwing things up. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, do you believe in time travel? Yes, I absolutely do believe in time travel. Uh, partly because I don't think that time is linear. It's just the way that we tend to experience and perceive it because that's comfortable and convenient for our wee little mm. processing machines. To... For sure, yeah. Um, do you know who did not believe in time travel? Hmm. I wonder if you could guess. Somebody, somebody in the, the field. Somebody in the field. Art Bell? Stephen Hawking. Oh, oh, yes. And yes. here's a quote that he said. I gave a, a party for time travelers, but I didn't send out invitations until after the party. I sat there a long time, but no one came. <laughs> well, no one can deny the man had a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> um, another sort of interesting tidbit I came across about time travel a Canadian tidbit mm -hmm. is mm -hmm, in 1941, there was a photo taken in uh, BC, British Columbia, here in Canada, and it's available to see on the Virtual Museum of Canada website. It's the picture is of a reopening of a bridge, a BC bridge. Okay. And so there's this huge crowd of people and they're all dressed pretty fancily it's the early 1940s so they're in like suits and ties and mm. everyone's just like pristine looking and then there's this hipster looking late 20 some early 30s and mm. he's wearing what looks like to be a graphic tee with a big m on it and Weird. yeah and a sweater that almost looks like a hoodie and sunglasses, they're kind of chonky, like a hipster's sunglasses. Right. And then an SLR camera, at least what appears to be an SLR camera. Like it's a big chonky camera. Right. <laughs> um, but, but it does kind of look digital-ish. So like mm. a digital SLR. I don't know. I, You're going to have to show me this after yeah, done. No, I'm going to show you right now. I want to get your reaction. Um, so here... Here it is. It sounds fascinating. Oh, yeah. Huh. Very, very strange. And it, it is kind of, uh, kind of an unsettling feeling looking at him because mm -hmm. it's, he does look, besides the dress, there's something about him that feels very out of place with that group of people not to say no that you're right different He's... types of people wouldn't be together in that setting in the 1940s um but just the his whole vibe yeah, besides yeah. his dress is totally different he stands out like a sore thumb and yet nobody's noticing him well there is everyone says that actually but then you look and there's this woman who looks like she was just looking at him and is now kind of awkwardly oh, smiling kind of right, right and looking between. away like kind of like startled yeah yep. her Okay. Huh. Strange. Absolutely very, very strange. Very strange. Um, but then I was looking more into it, and this doesn't uh, say it's not real or anything, but people were arguing, well, you know, there was the Montreal Maroons hockey team at the time, and they had jerseys, mm. and they had big M's on the front. Oh. Um, but then I looked at them, and it didn't really look like that. Like, this does look more like a graphic tee when you look at it and a fancy sort of 
hoodie sweater. And I don't think Ray-Bans were kicking around back then. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just the whole thing's very bizarre. So, uh, yeah, we'll put that on our um, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Yeah, for sure. Um, just so folks can look at it. Uh, there's another, weirdly enough, other Canadian one. I don't know if you've seen this one. You'll have to tell me. Um, I just realized I've never said Greta's name out loud. I've I've listened to it, but I'm sorry. There's a lookalike of Greta Thunberg. That's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in this photo from 1898 in the Yukon well, looking I, I heard for gold this. with two other children. Because um, some people went over there to look for for gold and try to um, to gain wealth with their families. Yeah, yeah. I'll sure. I'll show you her. So this was also in Canada, which is just so bizarre. We have something going on with time travel here. <laughs> True North, strange and free. Yeah, that is quite a lookalike. Uh huh. <laughs> and she has the two braids. Yeah. True. As well. Like just her, just her whole being looks like Greta. Yeah, no, definitely. But I wonder if that might be like perhaps some uh, strong lineage. Like the the Sami people tend to have very distinct facial similarities mm-hmm. generations down the line. It could be something like that, but still, it is. But just also the irony, the irony of like uh, this this little girl. Uh, well, she looks to be about 16, kind of like Greta. Um, maybe, yeah, Greta looks young, so maybe 14 to 16. And uh, uh, at the time, this was when it started to get popular, was when Greta was still 16. Right. Um, so this little girl was, like, digging through the earth to get gold, which is, you know, kind of like turning up the earth and not doing the best things to it. Yeah. And yeah. then we have Greta today. <laughs> That is trying to save our planet. Uh, so the irony in that, just, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> My last interesting, cool fact is going back in time is known as retrocognition. And going forward into the future is known as precognition. Mm-hmm. And precognition also is a way of saying that somebody can see what happens in the future. Yeah. And that is uh, basically psychic in a nutshell. You would call a lot of psychic people, uh, you'd say their ability is precognition. And we have Blavatsky, who mm-hmm. in her time did have such abilities. Absolutely, yeah. So I just love that. I love how the wording is uh, very appropriate for our Madame Blavatsky. Indubitably. Indubitably. <laughs> yeah, there's retrocausation as well, which I find to be a fascinating topic that is gaining more tread in the scientific community these days. That's. Mm. Want to uh, talk about that? Uh, it might be a little much for the end of our podcast, it, especially because I'm also only moderately educated. Mm. So. Uh, I would say if it's a topic that interests you, it's it's essentially exactly what it sounds like, retrocausation. What you do now creates changes and effects on the past. So uh, 
yeah, there's all sorts of ways of thinking about that and framing it and all sorts of implications. So if you're interested in that topic, there's a really good episode of Theories of Everything with Kurt Jaimungle. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in that, check him out on YouTube. That's Theories of Everything with Kurt Jaimungle. Uh, I can't remember which guest it was that had the retro causation, but type that in. You'll see. Okay, and then just another little announcement. Um, I will be telling a spiritual story on one of my favorite podcasts, Jim Harold's podcast. Um, sorry, Jim Harold's Campfire. And uh, so it should be airing, I think, within a couple of weeks. Um, I'm very thrilled to be doing it and very nervous. I'm so pumped for you, babe. It's <laughs> going to be wonderful. And I've listened to a couple of the episodes with you, and yeah, Jim Harold does a great job yeah really. wonderful guy yeah. um and so if you want to uh keep up to date with us on uh instagram we're at un.godly podcast and that is the same i believe on facebook and twitter is at un underscore godly, godly podcast, podcast. <laughs> yeah <laughs> just to keep it complicated and yes and you can also listen to us on youtube by searching ungodly podcast or uh, you could visit our website too, which is, what is our website? <laughs> Ungodlypodcast.transistor.fm Lovely. All right. Thank you very much and can't wait to see you next time. It's going to get spooky. Halloween's coming up. Yeah. <laughs>